All right. Um, so we're a little early, but the lesson's a little crowded. I don't know if we'll finish not this morning. But, um, anyways, uh, good to see everybody. Hopefully, most of you made it out to the concert. How many got to the concert last night? Oh, yeah, I did too. That was that was wonderful, amazing concert. Um, we're just so blessed to have that facility, the Jackson's opening that up, and then to have Keith and Kristen here, and, and um, so that was really good. Um, and we have some people um, that are new, um, not one who's not new, he's just back. Randy Davis um, is, has uh, not been around for a while for, for important reasons, but he's here this morning. So Randy, we are very, very happy to have you with us. And let's see, um, Steve, right? Yes, sir. Steve and Mary Nagel. Very good. And they are dear, dear friends or dear friends, depending on which way it goes with uh, Chuck and Connie. So, um, so they've been around for a while um, in terms of knowing the Lundies, and we're happy to have you with us. And then, Sarah, you have a special guest with you this morning. Yes. Good morning. This is my mother-in-law, Liz Tiboli. Okay, so uh, good to have you. And then some who are here second week, but um, all right. Um, any prayer requests for this morning or praise items? We should be praying for Hume Lake. The kids are going today to Hume Lake, so um, that's an important time for them. Matt? I guess this one's a new prayer for my grandmother. Um, on a, she's on a bit of an emotional high, and that can go on for a long time. So just pray prayer there and just uh, prayer because we're kind of trying to figure out how to move a piano into her house. I volunteered you, Wesley. You and I, we just need one other person, so one other strong person. No, Ben isn't around. John's ready to help, too, so, okay. So give us a call when you need that piano moved in, and we'll take care of that for you. Okay. Gail, you made it this morning after all of the uh, activity last night. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Any, anything else, Carolyn? Okay, and we have been praying for Hunter, so that's wonderful that it's at least feeling better, but still be nice to know what was causing it, so. Um, okay, anything else that we should be praying for? Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for a beautiful morning. We thank you for um, the opportunity we have this morning to come and to worship you. We thank you that we were able to do that last night. We, we uh, pray for uh, the Gettys and their ministry as they uh, seek to... Um, provide and encourage churches to, to uh, praise and worship you. And, and Father, we know that's our heart's desire is to do that. Father, we um, wanna pray for 
um, Matt's um, grandma and just the difficult time that she's been having and pray that um, you would just be a comfort to her. Um, Father, we continue to pray for Hunter and ask that um, whatever his ailment is will be uh, understood and that it would also be able to be cured. Uh, thank you that he's been feeling better. We think of Glenn Swanson as well and the health issues that he's faced. Pray for him. Um, Father, we want to thank you for your word and we ask as we look into your word this morning that you would open our eyes to the truth of this passage and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. All right, we are in um, Exodus chapter 26. We are working through the tabernacle. Um, and the tabernacle is, for those of you who haven't been here, let me just say a couple things real quick. I know those of you who've been here, this is, you hear it every week, but there's always new people. Um, Moses goes up onto the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments. And he also gets the plan for the tabernacle. The Ten Commandments without the tabernacle is simply condemnation. The tabernacle is the way that man is brought back to God. Not only that, it is a picture of the way that God is going to bring all men to himself. Uh, all those he calls to himself. The tabernacle is a picture of that. The, the law without the tabernacle is simply condemnation. But the law with the tabernacle is the path back to God. And it sets up a, uh, it's a pattern that God designs. The tabernacle is the only building or structure in the history of mankind completely, <laughs> completely designed by God. And not only that, he took and he filled men with the Holy Spirit so that they would implement it exactly. This building is important to God. It is a picture of something greater. We know that from Hebrews, where it says that the tabernacle on earth was a shadow of a greater tabernacle. Um, turn, turn with me to Revelation real quick. Revelation 21. I want you to see this. <clears throat> It says in Revelation 21, 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Um, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. Uh, April, what does yours say? Tabernacle. The tabernacle of God is with men. Because the idea of the tabernacle was where God dwelt. Um, if you read NASB, it would say the tabernacle of God is now with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And that's what it says about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the place where God came to be able to dwell with men. Um, there's something that I haven't um, stressed enough, I don't think. And that is, the tabernacle seems very exclusive to us. 
it's a place where only the, the priests can go into the tabernacle. There's an outer court, the people can go in there, but there's the tabernacle and only the priests can go into the tabernacle. Only the priests can go into the tabernacle um, and only the high priest can go into the holy place. And it seems as if God is keeping people away, but that is not the point. The entire point of the scripture is to draw men back to himself. Um, and, and the tabernacle simply reinforces the idea that because God is holy, we have the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat above, above it. And it isn't until blood is placed on that holy, the Ark of the Covenant with the unbroken law in it that, that, that God is, man is able to approach God. But God is going to solve that problem through his son, Jesus Christ, who tears away the, the veil. The purpose eventually is to tear away that veil, but not until we understand what's taking place and that there is a holy uh, standard that has been broken and only Jesus Christ who did not ever break the law, the only man to ever live in perfect obedience to the law of God, is able to go in without the blood of a bull to sacrifice for himself. He doesn't need to put blood on the altar for himself. Instead, he can come and put blood on the altar for us once for all, as Hebrews says. So don't, don't let the tabernacle throw you off. It's not exclusive, but it's the first path back to God since the garden, in a sense. It's, it's through faith, but this is the means by which it's going to happen. It's faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, although they didn't know that at the time. Um, the tabernacle... Um, I've drawn it up each week, but we have looked last week. Um, the tabernacle um, opens to the east. It is 75 by, oops, 150 feet roughly by 75 feet, seven and a half feet high. That's the outer court. You walk in, there's an altar, the brazen altar, there's a laver for bathing or for washing. And then we have a building which is 15 by 45. This is the actual tabernacle. And it is um, it has, of course, the holy place inside of here. This is not to scale. This should be 15 by 15. should be a perfect cube. Um, because this is 15 feet tall. And inside of it, we have the table of showbread. We have the candlestick. We have the altar of incense. In here, we have the Holy of Holies. I mean, the Ark of the Covenant in the holy place with the angels with their wings going across, forming a mercy seat. And it's at this point where God dwells. We talked about that last week. The entire thing is gold with exception of the roof. The light is entirely provided through the candlestick. The priests eat. Uh, by the way, who are the priests? We are. No, uh, in, in their day, the people of, of not just Levites, but Aaron's tribe. But we are the priests. The picture of going into the tabernacle is a picture of being in Christ. If you're in Christ, you can enter into that tabernacle as well. There's only one high priest, and that's Jesus Christ, but he's ripped the veil. And we know that because it tells us that in Scripture, but it also says in um, Hebrews that you can do what? Go boldly before, before the throne of God. And the throne of God is the Holy of Holies. 
Jesus Christ is pictured in here. Everything that we need for salvation is in this. We have the mercy seat, which is also the word propitiation. Uh, we have God's law uh, obeyed and the mercy seat, the presence of God with us. We have the bread of life. We have the light of the world. Everything we need for salvation, everything we need for us spiritually is inside of that tabernacle. Um, so that's a brief review, very brief, but let's go back now to Exodus 26. Um, and this is a fairly long passage, um, but I usually like to read through it anyways. And those of you who don't uh, picture things clearly in your mind, this is gonna be kind of boring, um, but let's read through it. It's gonna describe the actual tabernacle. Last week we looked at the implements in the tabernacle, except for the altar of incense, because that isn't talked about until chapter 29. But the other parts he talked about last week. So this is going to describe the tabernacle itself. You know what, let me give you a brief overview before we read it, and then I want to jump into it. Uh, the tabernacle is made from boards 15 feet high, two and a half feet wide. Um, they have a, a, something that will slip into a base. It's a base uh, or a foundation, a base of silver. It slips into those. Uh, there's one base for each one of the pillars. So there's 50 of these that go around the tabernacle. There's uh, 20 on one side, 20 on the other, um, six on one side, and so 20, 46, and then only four on the other side because there's the door that opens. Um, and then those are covered with gold. They are linked together with boards that go across that are also covered in, in gold. So you set them down into their bases, then you put these um, bars across, and then across the top you have a roof, which is a, a fabric, which is hanging across. There's one layer that we'll read about right at the beginning that you can see from the inside. There's three other layers, and the outer layer covers over, is pulled down, and then there's a curtain to cover the veil of the, of the holy place, and there's a curtain in front of the opening. Okay, so that's the, the flow of it. So let's, let's read it together. For those of you following, you'll see some of these elements as we go through. It says in verse 20, chapter 26, verse 1, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, about 42 feet. And the breadth of each uh, curtain, four cubits, so that's about six feet. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. 50 loops you shall make on the one curtain, 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another and you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single hole. You shall make also make a curtain of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. 11 curtains shall you make the length of each curtain shall be 30 
cubits and the, the breadth of each curtain four cubits. The 11 curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves and the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains you shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and the extra that remains in the length of the curtain, the cubit on one side and the cubit on the other shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and that side to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins on top. You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. 10 cubits shall be the length of a frame and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames of the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side and 40 bases of silver. You shall make under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons and for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, 20 frames. And there are 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames and you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear. They shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. This shall be with both of them. They shall form the two corners and there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame and two bases under another frame. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle and five for the frames of the other side and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frame shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make their uh, rings of gold for holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold. And then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia wood uh, overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the most holy place, the holy place from the most holy place. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, and you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework, and you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. Okay, long slog through that, but it is the word of God. Um, by the way, notice it says the plan shown you on the mountain. We have the description of the plan, but it's almost as if God laid the blueprints out for Moses and showed him what it was going to look like. He spends 40 days on the mountain, a lot of it figuring out what the tabernacle is gonna look like. Um, I, I wanna start with, um, I, I, I'm, there's a lot 
I, I think every single detail of the tabernacle is important. I think there's a reason for 50 clasps. I think there's a reason why there's a bronze instead of gold at places. I also realize I'm not the person to dig that out. And what you find when you read about the tabernacle in other places is oftentimes it's very speculative. So I'm gonna try and stick with things that I, I know or am pretty certain are what is trying to be represented, all right? So I wanna start with the bases of silver. Um, the tabernacle has a foundation and the foundation is silver. They cast um, bases of silver and I'll show you where I get this, 100 bases of silver, each a talent of silver each, which is about 100 pounds. So they're gonna take and set a 100 pound block of silver, another 100 pound block of silver, two and a half feet apart, and they're going to set that, um, the, the, the 15 foot board, two and a half feet wide in there. And then they're going to do that again, and everything's going to be joined together with bars to go across. Doesn't that seem a little extravagant? 100 pound blocks of silver? It's amazing. Everything else is made out of wood or curtain and we have a foundation of silver. And the question would be, why? And I think it's incredibly significant. It seems just kind of strange because if I remember right, silver is actually a pretty soft metal. Not the, kind, not the best thing you would want to lay a foundation on. Um, if you had a solid ingot of silver, it, it, it would work. Yeah. It would work. Um, it's, it's fairly dense. These aren't real big blocks. Um, by the way, notice the tabernacle is made so you take it apart and everything can be carried. My guess is all those curtains got torn apart and put back together again. Everything got taken apart, reestablished. I'm sure when Moses said, we're moving, people were like, oh no, we got all this work to do. Because there was a lot of work taking that apart and setting it up. So. Let's look at this, the silver. I Go to Exodus 30, verse 11 through 13, actually 11 through 15. Right, in the, it, right as soon as they're done talking about the altar of incense and before he talks about the bronze basin, um, which is the laver that sits out in front, there's this weird little section in Exodus 30 talking about the tabernacle called the census tax. It says, the Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for their lives. Um, the money that's being collected there, that shekel is a shekel of silver. And you'll see that if you go to Exodus chapter 38. Jump over with me to Exodus 38, starting at verse 25. <clears throat> it says, the silver from those of the congregation 
who were recorded was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary, a beka ahead, that is half a shekel, by the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone who was listed in the records from 20 years old and upward for 603,550 men. The hundred talents of silver were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, a hundred bases for the, for the hundred talents, a talent, a base. Okay, so where did the silver come from? The census tax. What's the purpose of the census tax? Atonement. It's a ransom and it's for their atonement. Now, uh, remember when we talked about that uh, the people saw God? Something should click in your brain when you hear that the people paid money for their atonement. Does, does God accept money for atonement? Where does atonement come from? Blood. It only comes from blood. And, and that is, is not just a New Testament concept. Go over to Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus 17 and verse 11. Uh, actually, it's a law against eating blood. It starts in verse 10. But in 11, he says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement uh, by the life. Uh, It is the blood which brings us atonement, not silver or gold. And if you want to see that more clearly, we go to the New Testament where this is specified. Um, Jump with me over to um, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. It says, um, talking about the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, The ransom is through the death of Jesus Christ, through the blood that's shed through Jesus Christ. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16. Oh, wait a minute. 2 6, excuse me. 1 Timothy 2 6. In fact, let's just go back a, a little bit. Verse uh, three, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus Christ gives his life as a ransom for many. Go over to First Peter, makes it even clearer in First Peter chapter one, verse 18 and 19. Um, actually, oh, I'm in chapter 3. I was going to say that's not the right verse. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. One other passage for me, uh, if you would, go to uh, Revelation chapter 5. This is a scene around the throne of God where God is, uh, has the saints of God around him. And it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of uh, a kingdom and priest to God, and they shall reign on the earth. Um, couple other verses we won't turn there Hebrews 9:22 without the shedding of blood there is no redemption or remission of sins Acts 20:28 20, says that we're purchased by his own blood the foundation of the tabernacle is the blood of Jesus Christ in the old testament it's bases of silver but the foundation for us is the blood of Jesus Christ that's what our salvation is built upon. That's what the tabernacle stands upon, the atonement that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. What did we sing last night? Um, 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 one of the songs we sang. Now I'm, I'm blanking on it. Um, well, that one, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, nothing, there, nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus, okay? Um, how about this? My hope is built on nothing less. My hope, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood. blood and righteousness. When we look at the tabernacle, the first thing you should think when you see silver bases is, wow, precious metal holding up the temple, the tabernacle. But when we look at our salvation, we look at something much more precious. The blood of Jesus Christ is the foundation. Everything is based upon that. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The tabernacle doesn't stand without the shedding of blood. So that's the first thing that comes out of that section. Any comments on that? Some of you may have thoughts that go along with that. Okay, Rod? Just uh, thinking about, or wondering, were, were, were the 100-pound blocks buried in the dirt, or were they standing on top? My guess is they just set them on the ground. And you would have had to level it, and then yeah. level it, and settle it, uh, set it down. So setting up that tabernacle, you would have spent time first laying out those blocks, putting the tabernacle up, that would have gone up first, and then you would have started putting up the fence around the outside. Fence around the outside is held up with strings and ropes. It's not held up with bases of silver. It's only the tabernacle that's held up with uh, silver. Okay. Some really strong guys. I'm glad they have guys like Ben who could pick up that 100 pounds and just carry it for however many miles. And uh, no, I'm sure they had donkeys and, and uh, mules and well, I don't know about mules, they had donkeys and ox. They had a lot of ox and bulls and things, so I'm sure they had carts that were transporting all of that. All right, let's go back to uh, Exodus 26. Uh, the other part of this that I do want to look at, because I think there it, it's uh, 
least for me. Like I said, there's things that I, I, I don't want to read something in, but I don't think we're reading it in. The atonement is in the blood of Christ. The blood is the foundation of the temple, just as the silver bases were. Um, next is the covering of the tabernacle. I don't know if you caught it, but there were four, actually four layers to the tabernacle. First layer does not lap over the edges. It's about the same size as the structure itself. And it is a white linen um, that is embroidered with cherubim. Cherubim are a form of angel. We talked about that last week. So let's go ahead and just read that little part. It says, moreover, verses, chapter 26, verse 1. Um, it says, moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. Okay? And then they're all classed together, and if you work out the dimensions, it's actually a little bit smaller than the entire tabernacle. So the, the roof, this doesn't lap over the edges. So you've got this, this curtain, it's all linked together, but it is white, and then it has a blue, purple, and scarlet. Now, this is, I'm going to speculate a little bit. I'm just going to tell you I'm speculating. But I think the colors are significant. What do we suppose? And we're all speculating here. What does the white represent? Purity. Purity. Uh, Jesus Christ is, is uh, the pure, spotless Lamb of God without sin. Um, what does scarlet represent? Blood. Blood. Um, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. What about purple? Royalty. Royalty. Always. Jesus Christ is our king. What about blue? See, this is where we'll speculate a little bit more. And blue is the color of the sky. Represents the heaven, I think, the heavenly origins of Jesus Christ, that he is from heaven sent down to us. And then you have the cherubim, and the cherubim were always present before the Lord God. Um, when, when we see, they see the picture of God, the cherubim there, they are guardians of the holiness of God. They sit above the mercy seat. They were what was put at the garden to keep the people from going back into the garden. And so you have this incredibly beautiful picture of Christ. Everything is gold. We have the bread, the lampstand, the mercy seat. And then when you look up or to the side over the Holy of Holies, you see this beautiful curtain that's been embroidered with all of the colors that represent Jesus Christ. Who gets to see that? Only the priests. This is not visible. None of this is visible at all from the outside. Okay? Let me go to the last covering. I know the passage goes different, but it actually, if you go follow through, and I know we read through it pretty quick, we have this first one, which is this one, which is the white. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. It's the white, the purple, the blue, the purple, scarlet. Anybody remember what's the next layer? Now we better look at it. It's rams, um, I mean goats, uh, goat skin. not goat skin, it's goat fur. 
Um, verse 7, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. So next is goat's hair. So it's a goat hair um, cloth. What's next? Well, that isn't spoken again now till later. You get down verse 14, and it says, and you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram's skins and a covering of goat skins on the top. So we have ram skins here. And then it says goat skin. Um, but I'm going to do something. Let me move this over. This is what your ESV says, tanned ram skins and a goat skin. That's the ESV. April, would you read yours for me? She has NASB. Yeah. This is what ES, uh, NASB says. Um, I looked up a whole bunch of other translations. Let me give you some of the other translations. Um, the NIV says ram skins dyed red and durable leather. Was that? Yours says CCAL? What version do you have? In, in ESV or? NIV. Oh, okay, so sea cow. Yeah, okay, sea cow, which is kind of close to a porpoise, I guess. I'm not a... Uh, it's actually more of a description of a or a uh, Yeah, and there is in um, the King James Version, it says skins dyed red, and it says badger skins. And in the ASV, it says skins dyed red and seal skin. And there's one translation that uses the word manatee here skins. So obviously we have a problem. You know what the problem is? We don't, know. we don't know. It's a word that we don't know how to translate. And so they have to make a decision. And uh, the reason that uh, NASB goes with porpoise is that the porpoise is, the Arab word for porpoise is very, very close to the word that's used in the, in the um, original language. Um, and so it's, it's a, um, they, they figured it had something to do with that. And also the word has something to do with the idea of blue. There's a bluish tint to the, whatever this leather is. At least that's implied in the, in the word itself. And I don't know the languages, so I'm just telling you what I read. Porpoise is kind of a bluish color. And so that's why NASB settles with porpoise. A lot of them go with something from the ocean, okay? Uh, jump over with me to Ezekiel chapter 16, um, which I know seems like a weird place to go, but um, Ezekiel chapter 16. And verse 10. Uh, God is talking to his faithless bride. You, some of you have read that. I passed you by, I saw you, I cleaned you up, 
And then it says, I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod your, your feet or shod you with fine leather. That's the exact same word. So here's what we know. This is fine leather and in Ezekiel at least, it's used for shoes. All right, um, now, <clears throat> I want you to just stop and think. You are outside of Christ. You're not a Christian. You have no glimpse of who he actually is. We see that inside the tabernacle. What do you see from the outside? Just a covering of leather, okay? It might be fine leather, but it's just leather. Um, think to Isaiah. He had no outward form or majesty. Nothing about him that would cause us to be attracted to him. If you were to come upon this structure in the desert, it might be a curiosity, but there is nothing beautiful about it. When you see the tabernacle, all you see is this big leather covering from the outside. But when you go inside, all the glories of salvation are revealed. The gold, the roof, the veil, everything is beautiful and everything points to Christ. But it's only when you get inside that you see that. And, and we've seen this, people who are not believers don't understand what it is that is so attractive to us about Jesus Christ. They don't understand salvation. We know that they don't have the spirit of God. They are not inside of the tabernacle. By the way, there's a very important reason to have this because you want to protect that tabernacle from the elements. So that linen isn't going to hold up, but you put this goat's leather in. Uh, let me draw out just a, um, and this is speculative. I read this once and it meant a lot to me, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, the, the interesting thing about all of these is this is what they would have made their shoes out of. See, if it's actually porpoise skin, you would ask the question, where would they get porpoise skin? You're in the middle of the desert. Where do you get porpoise in the middle of the desert? Uh, well, unless you brought it with you. And why would you bring it with you? Why would people leaving Egypt on a long journey bring porpoise skin? For shoes that don't wear out. Exactly, for shoes. But when God asks them for the shoes, for their leather and they give it to him, what do we know about the people of Israel? Their shoes did not wear out. They willingly gave that porpoise leather, that fine leather, the leather that they would have used for their shoes, and God then never uh, requires them to make shoes ever again. When we give something to God, um, he, he provides. He uses it and he, what was that? He, uh, for, there we go, okay. <laughs> for a different purpose, yeah. So that to me is a, is a neat, it's a neat application of that. Whether that's the actual reason, I don't know, but it is an interesting thing that they gave up something that would have been specifically designed for another purpose and God says, your shoes aren't gonna wear out on the journey. For 40 years, their shoes never wore out. So that's an amazing thing. Um, now, we only have a couple minutes. There are two other layers. Why are there two other layers? Why wouldn't this and that be enough? All it's gonna do is make it heavier, right? 
until we look at what it is. This layer is the layer that is goat, and this layer is ram. I, I want you to go with me to Leviticus. See if I have that here. Leviticus chapter 16. And in the interest of time, I'm just going to need to um, I'm going to need to summarize this passage. But Leviticus 16 talks about how the high priest is supposed to come to God on the Day of Atonement. And what he does is he takes a bull and he offers the bull for himself. And he goes and he sprinkles that blood on the altar first so that he now can approach the holy place. He bathes, he does all sorts, this whole ritual, but then he takes and sacrifices a bull. The bull's blood is for himself. And then they take a goat, actually two goats, and they lay their hands, the priest lays his hands on the one goat and the sin of the people was transferred to the one goat. And that goat is sent out into the wilderness. We call it the scapegoat. And then the other goat is sacrificed. And that goat which is sacrificed, its blood is brought in and sprinkled on the altar. And that then is for the, um, for the covering of the sins of the people. And now the high priest can approach God because he's been cleansed and his blood is covered. And then he brings and he covers it for the people of God. I don't think it's a mistake that there's goat hair in here, okay? The goat points to the sacrificial substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. But there is also a ram that is sacrificed as a burnt offering. And remember, a burnt offering is one of dedication. It, it is whole commitment to, to God. So in this, what, what we see from the inside is the glories of Christ. What they see from the outside is this leather, nothing to look at. But between those two layers, we see Christ's um, absolute submission to the Father as a burnt offering to him. And we see the sacrificial substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Remember, the ram skin is dyed red, which is interesting. It's dyed red. Um, it's it's a, uh, an offering of himself for us. Um, notice what's not in there. There's not a layer of, of bull because Jesus doesn't have to offer that sacrifice for himself. He doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sin because there was no sin. So this layer, four layers, each layer has significance. Um, and, and it covers the tabernacle. Now, like I said, I'm sure that the 50 class and the gold and the, all the, every, every other part I think has significance. I think when we get to heaven, we're gonna understand all of that. But for right now, that's as good as I'm going to be able to do. Um, there's, well, we'll get to that later. There's an interesting thing about the size of the Holy of Holies itself being a perfect cube, but we'll talk about that later. I don't think it specifies here what the dimensions are inside of there. That comes later. Any, any comments or questions at this point? Tom? It's the humanity of Christ, yeah. He took on this flesh, but, but there was no majesty or stately form. He was nothing to look at. <laughs> 
according to the scripture. Yeah. So very good. I should have been more specific. The humanity of Christ, um, the the these things, the purity, the the deity, the uh, royalty, the sacrificial uh, offering of Christ, the angels guarding the holiness of God, what we see from the inside and then buried between those two, how that is accomplished. The, the blood of the goat and the burnt offering of the ram. So, Rod. I read someplace where Paul, when he was a tent maker, he made tents of goat hair. That was his practice. Oh, okay. is heaven yeah yeah and that actually in the tabernacle is the same thing you're going to look up and you're going to see that but you can also look to the holy of holies and you can look to the curtain on the edge so there were other places where you saw that but okay any other comments before we finish okay we have a incredible god um that this the salvation of, of man was planned from before the foundation of the earth and, and even in that Old Testament, there's these clues as to what it means uh, for our redemption. It's a, it's a magnificent, uh, magnificent thing to see God pull that all together throughout the entire scripture. Um, I, had, I had a person talk to me, ask me, um, wanted to talk, he was um, um, affiliated with the church and he said, I just, I just have some questions. And one of the questions was, how do we know for certain that the Bible is the Word of God? And so I began talking about it, but one of them was just the, 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 the whole flow of Scripture with, with all these different authors, 40 or so authors over thousands of years, a couple thousand years, and, and to see it all converge at Jesus Christ and every little piece of it everything points to Jesus Christ. And that's not just because we're forcing it to, it's because it does. And, and it's like these streams coming down out of the mountain that finally converge into one big river. And, and the, the idea of that being able to be done by, by any collection of authors, uh, I can't even imagine taking an author from 2000 years ago and an author from today and telling them just to, to write something and finding that it all fits together. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't because because this is the pattern that God showed to, to Moses. He laid this out on the blueprint. Here's what you're gonna do. Here's how it's gonna look. Here's what it's gonna be. And Moses communicated that and we have the tabernacle. So 